J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How What's we doing, up? John? How we doing, Jacob? Doing well, guys. Happy to be here with you. Absolutely. I think it'd be good. Uh, let's all kind of introduce ourselves so people know who's talking while we get into this. Uh, this is J.R. Butler, founder of Shift Group. And I think uh, for listeners from last week, this is John Davis. And today we have a special guest, Jacob Karp. Hey, what's happening, everyone? I'm Jacob Karp. I'm a strategic account executive at People AI. Oh yeah, Jacob. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show. Um, this is uh, it's a really good opportunity for our candidates and just folks in the in the industry of sales to to, to you know hear from other people and how they think. Um, obviously, as you know, our our candidates are all athletes, so we like to start we like to start there. Um, can you tell John and I a little bit about your athletic career? Yeah, absolutely. Great place to start. Um, so I grew up playing baseball. I think I started playing baseball when I was around four years old. Um, never really stopped until I was like 21 or 22. I played throughout high school and into junior college um, before an injury kind of stopped my career. And then I had to go figure out what to do with myself from there. What position, what position were you? I was a catcher. So, John, I started playing catcher when I was nine which is insane because most kids like avoid it for as long as they can but that was me nine years old catching and never really looked back you're are you a bigger guy because catchers usually i I played catcher a little bit in high school and uh yeah the collisions at the plate were still a thing back then yeah (laughs) yeah they were um i'm not the biggest guy i'm 5 11 and a half maybe like 200 pounds well i'm probably more than that right now but 200 pounds back then (laughs) <laughs> that's solid that's solid yeah <laughs> five eleven and a half gets you six one on the roster dude well that's, that's what i'm saying, saying. Yeah. yeah were you a catcher were you a catcher at four or were you like you know just taking turns at no i was actually a shortstop and a pitcher what you'll find a lot of times in baseball when you play it is like you start as like a pitcher and a shortstop or a center fielder. And then as you get older, you're like, well, I'm not that fast and I don't have that great a range. So I think I'm just going to be a catcher. (laughs) Catchers are like the goalies of baseball. You know, they're, they're just sickos. I love that. Yep. Yep. Like, so, so like Jacob, a lot of people go that Juco route that you went. So it sounds like you were, you were pretty serious baseball player. Were, Were you like, were you a five tool stud or like, did you have to work for it? I definitely had to work for it. Um, I was not a stud. I was good, but I was surrounded by guys who were better than me um, almost my entire career. So a lot of it for me, which is interesting now has translated into my career was like work ethic, competitiveness, grit. Like I'm not as physically talented as you, but you're not going to outwork me. That's for sure. Those are the best types of salespeople. I was the same way. I had to earn it every single day. I surrounded. Even my little brother was better than me. <laughs> yeah. Same with mine. Yeah, especially especially when you get baseball. Like you have to put in the work. Like I I remember when I first started. Like I thought I could, 
you know, go on to be in the majors because I could hit it over the fence in my backyard. And, you know, then you get people throwing 80, 82, 83, and you're not even close. So you got to spend time in the cage. And, and like, did you do a lot of, like, um, um, on, the, on the batting side, did you have to do a lot of training and as you got to progress through college and JUCO? Or? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think it really kind of turned it on in high school when you get, like, very concentrated on, like, how you want to hit the ball, where you want to hit the ball, because it's not just a power play anymore, to your point. And then when I got to junior college, like, I kind of figured out quickly that I probably wasn't good enough to go past that because – John, to your point, like a dude comes in, he's throwing like 95 and then drops like a hammer on top. And you just are like, well, I can't do anything with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the difference between 95 and 96 is a big thing. And like, you know, you don't until you see I, I couldn't even touch that stuff. Like only saw it a couple of times regardless. But yeah, I mean, I remember even like catching it for the first time was like a totally different ball game. Like the sound it makes, the pop, the t- the lack of time you have to make a decision, at, even as a catcher, wild. Hundred percent. So you you were playing um, JUCO and then college. Where did you play? Or did, tell us about your kind of college career. Yeah. So what's interesting is I actually had no intention of going to college. Totally transparent. Like I either wanted to go to culinary school of all things, or like I just was the guy who was like. You know, I don't know how much I care about college. So I actually went to junior college specifically to play baseball because I wasn't good enough to play at a big school um, and kind of honed my baseball career there, realized I wasn't as good as I was. But it actually helped me figure out that, like, I need to have a plan after school because I'm definitely not going to the big leagues. I'm not even getting drafted. So what am I going to do next? That That's a good, uh, like, we... We talk like every day I talk to kids that are in at that point, Jacob, that transition point where like one day you wake up and you don't, you don't get to sit on a bench all day, like, you know, chewing seeds and like hanging out with your buddies, right? Like, or, or in the locker room or, you know, competing on a day-to-day basis. What, like, how was that transition for you? Um, and like, what, what are some of the tips you would give someone? Like, if you could go back to that transition time. What are some of the things you wish you had done and what was it like? Yeah, I, you know, I think for a lot of student athletes, what happens to your point, JR, is like you have this like abrupt ending, right? Like you in your head are like, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go play semi-pro ball in Europe. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden one day you're like 21 or 22 and you're like, and I don't play baseball anymore. Um, But what was good for me is when I got done with junior college, I transferred to Arizona State. I had surgery on my wrist and my baseball career was over. So I'm a junior in college and I'm like, I need to get serious about something. I need to put my focus into something I want to do next. Um, For me, that was writing. That was journalism. I got a communications degree. What I would recommend to kids today in that sort of 20 to 21 age is like, Get serious a year or two before school ends or before your career ends. Uh, Try a lot of different things and get as much experience as you can, either shadowing people that you're interested in what they do, getting internships, whatever it might be. Because then when you are done and you graduate college or you get done with your playing career, you have something that you've already started to go talk about and like figure out what's next. Yeah. College kids are so concerned about like just reaching out to people. And I don't think they realize like 
you know, guys like us are out there, professionals are out there that would love to, I'd love to get that phone call of like, hey, what do you do? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Like just having those simple conversations and networking can make such a difference. I, th- I think that's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Jacob, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear your journalism and interested in writing and communications. Um, so what, what kind of led you to that? You know, it's a, it's a really good question. And like, I've thought about it before and I don't even know if I could put my finger on it. It's just one of those things that I was always strong in that was sort of like something that I just enjoyed doing. And I never thought that you could go like get a degree in it and then leverage it later. But I started applying myself there, writing for the school newspaper, doing internships at marketing um, companies and agencies. And it just kind of grew from there. The reason I ask you is because JR's, you know, spot on with some of the college kids that we, we chat with. And he's always telling them, like, you know, don't worry about the, the major or, you know, what you're doing in college in terms of, like, do you have to get a sales degree to get into sales? There's no such thing, really, right? Like, I, I was an economics major, and I, I thought I was going to be an accountant or work on Wall Street for a whole career. And I ended up in software sales. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, journalism and communications can lead you to software sales. And JR, I, I forget your major, but it wasn't Sociology, sales. dude. Sociology. <laughs> sociology. Art history and sign language, dude. I got it all. Who wouldn't want to hire yeah. me? Are you kidding me? Uh, so many, so many young young college athletes are, are worried about their major or what they're going to do after college. So I think it's it's really cool to hear that that's kind of the path you took at Arizona State. Yeah, I, I think another thing I'll say there and, and advice I would give is that those are, I don't want to say this in a sad way, but like those are maybe some of the last years where you really get to explore, right? Like the end of your college career and maybe like the first like three to five years out of school, like explore find something you're stoked on find something that makes you want to get up in the morning look like i've got a good life you guys have got a good life we're doing well but like i don't get to go explore anymore like i'm waking up and doing software sales which is fun but i'm not like oh i think i'm just gonna go figure out how to be a chef somewhere not (laughs) happening Uh, that's a good point that's a good point especially like uh i i tell a lot of the student athletes the college athletes coming out of school, like you can look at an entry level sales position, almost like your grad school, because learning a, a business development or a sales skill after college, it's it's essentially a graduate degree because you, you're going to use that in any career that you find five, 10 years later. It's, it's very, uh, very formative in those years to learn sales. It's so true. The, and, and, and the path out of like that BDR role could be anything, right? I, I, some of my best sales engineers, marketing people, sales ops, finance, you know, HR people come from BDRs. Like it's a great way to get into a company, learn how business works, learn how other companies work. And then you can always, you can always pivot, right? Yeah. I, I think what's really interesting about sales, and I'm sure you guys would agree is like, you can start in sales and then pivot to something else like you're talking about. But you can also not not start in sales and pivot into it. It's like this like crazy world that you can go back and forth or like in and out of. And a lot of other things like finance or accounting, maybe you're like, yo, you can't just I can't just roll out and be a CPA tomorrow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was like? So tell us about your your path to, to software as a service sales, Jacob. I'm super curious. How'd you how'd you get there? 
Yeah. Uh, another kind of meandering road for the first five years out of college, I was in marketing and PR. So I used kind of like what I had learned in journalism and mass comm and worked for a couple of different marketing and PR companies. Um, I actually went to work for the cable company, Cox Communications in Southern California. So I'm doing like marketing stuff there. And one of the guys who was a vendor to Cox, who was selling hardware, was like, hey, if you ever want a job and just to try sales, like come and do this. So I go into that. I do a couple of years of hardware sales and I knew I wanted to get into software, but I came up against that wall that a lot of people will hit is like, you don't have software experience, so you can't be in software sales. Um, so, you know, and, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point. One of the things for me was like, do not be afraid to put yourself out there and do outreach into an industry you're trying to get into because I was like, like anything else, I like, you can't tell me no, I'm going to find my way in there. Um, I took a little bit of a left turn into professional baseball in the front office for one year. Amazing experience working for the Padres, but I realized that wasn't for me. Um, and then made my way into software sales. Can we talk, can, can I pick on that yeah. for a second, Jacob? Like what, people telling you, you can't sell software because you've never sold software. I heard the same thing. Like, can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's improving. And I think with stuff like what you guys are working on and other orgs, like so thankful to see that emerging. But I think there has always been this thing where it's like you have to have two years of software experience to get your first year of software experience. <laughs> Everyone's like, How, how's that? Work? The math doesn't add up on that. Um, so I came up against that time and time again. Like when I was in hardware sales, I was a VP at a company doing $100 million. But when I tried to go get a software job, everyone was like, dude, you're selling hardware. It's not the same thing. And it was like, I, I found it really frustrating. Now, and we can talk about this in a bit. There is a learning curve when you go into software sales, but at the same time, keeping people out just because they had never been in it just seems like counterintuitive to me. So, so how'd you break through, dude? Like, what was the, what was the, like, what happened? Who gave you a shot? How'd you get in front of that person? Like, what, what, what was the story? Yeah. So I just decided like I was going to go absolutely nuts to get in. And what I started doing was, you know, this was 2016, 17. I just went on LinkedIn and was just networking like crazy. I was finding the people I wanted to talk to, connecting with them, sending them notes there. I was emailing them. I was trying to get coffee with them. I was trying to have calls with them. So it really was like, and it's funny because like, obviously that's part of my job now. It was just like this outreach to these key personas that I wanted to talk to. The crazy story is I almost given up. Um, I made one last, uh, I put in one last application at Exactly Corporation. And I was just like, eh, I don't think this is going to happen. They called me back and the rest is history. I landed that role uh, thanks to them. And I've been on the journey since 2018. What's Exactly do? So they do commission software. So they're essentially automating the calculation of commissions. Um, now they're doing more forecasting stuff. So, so you did you did that just naturally, just reaching out to people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I got guidance from people too. But like, even part of my college baseball career story is when I went to go play junior college baseball. I emailed the coach and was like, "Hey, my parents are moving over here. Here's my stat line." Here's like a video of me. And this is like 2003, so it was garbage. But I'm like, I'm coming up down your street. Like, 
let me get a tryout. <laughs> so, like my yeah. I see. I I love that. I love that. I like if you told me that in an interview, I'd be like all over it. I for anybody out there who's listening who hires people, I just know that I I have done this in the past. I take the the crazy outreach or the you know the random phone calls that I get that are like, hey, I see you have a job on LinkedIn. Can we chat? I'm like. If somebody's going to do this versus, you know, uh, you know, somebody else coming through and formally submitting an application, I'll, I'll talk to the crazies out there. I think it's you, you find some people out there who are just like hungry. And that's that's what a sales manager really wants. I what, what I find awesome, Jacob, because I've been following you and, and I think we met uh, after you started at AppDynamics. And I think we met mm-hmm. in Denver at like an ASUG when I was a, a CRO at Pillar. Um, but like one thing I've noticed about you is like you're not you're not shy about using LinkedIn. Like, and I think it's the fact like learning that that's kind of what got you into the business. Now you're kind of leveraging it to continue to to grow in your career. Like, tell tell us a little bit like what's your view of LinkedIn and like your 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 overall strategy there now that you're a, like a full time seller. Yeah, I I think in the business world and the business community, I'm not sure there's a more valuable platform right now. Um, plug to LinkedIn, send me some swag guys. Um, but seriously, like if you are a, if you are in that area right now where you're either at the end of college or young in your career, get yourself a LinkedIn profile, follow some people that are doing some cool stuff, connect, build a community. Like I've been doing this now for, the better part of a decade, but I really turned it on JR in like the last like year or two when I took my role at people AI, because the people I sell to are on LinkedIn. Um, I just think there's so much you can learn there. And I think you can be a seller, but also be yourself, which is powerful. Um, so yeah, I would highly advocate to kids like, like use that as a platform to get a hold of the people or get noticed by the people you want to be talking to. Yeah, John. John makes fun of me sometimes, though, because like I sometimes I tend to bully bully some uh, people that I don't agree with on LinkedIn because because like unfortunately there there really isn't a gate uh, a gate. So like you got you do have some people on there with a lot of followers that sometimes will talk nonsense. So I think just have like taking everything with a grain of salt. Um, but but I think it's a it is a phenomenal platform. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's like, if you're not using it, just think of it this way. It's the same as sports. Like if you're not in the weight room, someone else is, if you're not taking extra hacks, someone else is. Um, so if you're not using LinkedIn, like your competition, who's going to take a job from you probably is right. So, so you, you, you made the comment, like there are, there's a lot of companies like shift group out there now, that are helping people from other industries break into the software as a service sales industry, which I agree with you is awesome. Um, one, we need more diversity in the in the space in general. But two, it's such an unbelievable career. Um, it's good that other people have access to it. Like now that they have all those, would how would you change the way you went about it? Um, you know, doing the cold outreach. What would you do differently now if you were just getting out of PR? Or, or you know, front office sports. How would you how would you transition into tech sales now? Yeah, I think. I mean, that's a great question. I I think I would keep some of that same approach, but I would also be doing some of that outreach and 
community building with orgs like what you guys are doing, right? Because it's sort of like a, it's a connection point to talk to more people who are really knowledgeable about how to enter the space, experts in what you do. So, I, I mean, maybe that stuff was around back then. I didn't find it personally. So I'd still be doing my like direct approach to people I wanted to work for or with, but I'd also be leveraging like orgs like Shift Group because you guys are doing this every day and it's just another way to build a community and build a connection point. 100%. So what do you think about, um, we, we have, you know, a lot of people who are thinking about software sales. I always hear this and they're like, you know what, John? Um, yeah, like my parents are telling me, you know, maybe I should go to law school or, or maybe marketing or, you know, they're, they're worried that it's not a real career. So can you talk, you know, maybe your advice to somebody who's a junior in college? that's concerned software sales won't be a lucrative career. Yeah. First off, I can tell you that if you are willing to grind, get in and stick it out, it can be very lucrative. Um, I'm watching a lot of my peers now who've been in for quite some time do very well for themselves. So I think like that piece of it can be taken away in a way. Um, I do think that I, I went through something similar, John, like when I was coming out of college, I didn't want to be in sales because I didn't know any of the right kind of sellers, right? Like there was still a negative stigma. I didn't really know anyone in software. What I could tell folks who are thinking about it, go network, go talk to people, like feel free to reach out to me, you guys. Talk to people who've lived it, who are doing it well. You will find some of like the smartest, most driven people who are also doing well for themselves, providing for their families, helping their communities. Um, I get that's a different conversation with the parents, right? But maybe that's just, it takes a couple of years to show your parents like, yo, I'm doing well for myself in this. I love it. Yeah, I, I told my parents when I was in uh, high school, I said, you know, I think I'm going to major in film and media and make videos online and put them on the internet. And they were like, you're crazy. And then, you know, we're seniors and YouTube comes out and they're like, you should have done that. And I'm like, yeah, I should have. I should have done that. So I think sometimes parents can be very conservative and software gets this, uh, you know, this weird stigma where it's like, oh, no, that's, you know, sales of sales. It's not great. But JR made a good point. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago we were chatting and software is continually evolving and you, it's, it's always going to be growing and you're always going to have to be learning and selling something new and repositioning what you positioned 10, 20 years ago. So, yeah, I would agree. It's a... Uh, it's definitely a solid. solid this path. whole internet thing is a fad, dude. It's a fad. <laughs> it's going away soon. Um, I, I always like to talk about like a few like key key sales skills, like that, and 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 understand how people think about them. Jacob, it's good for it's good for everyone to hear kind of different thoughts. Um, you know, we're 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 getting a lot of kids into their first sales job, and I really preach research, right? Um, can you just talk about like account research and like the things that you do, like leading up to reaching out to somebody, right? Like before you ever make a phone call, before you ever send an email or a LinkedIn message, what are the things you're doing to make yourself an expert in their business and, and like about what they care about? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so whether you're a BDR an AE, if you are in a sales role, like your first function is pipeline generation which you may hear some of us refer to as PG because we just refer to it as that after all these years, like 
you need to be generating pipeline either for someone in your org or for yourself, right? For me, JR, to your point, like that starts with research. I want to know every darn thing that I can about an account that I'm trying to get into. Um, so I am listening to podcasts. I have Google alerts for like the particular company name. So any kind of news that comes out, I'm getting filtered to my inbox. I'm reading financial quarterly reports, 10 Qs if I can. I'm digging into people's Twitter. Um, you know, I'm not getting too weird, but like the more tidbits that you know about an account or a company overall, like what are their business initiatives? What are the strategies they've got to go do to hit those initiatives? Like that stuff just helps you. And then you take that a level deeper and you start to think about the people that work there that you want to talk to. How do you tie those people back to the strategies and initiatives? And then like, how do you make a win for them personally? Like, do they want to spend more time with their kids? Do they want to get promoted? I don't know. So it's all of those things. Um, this internet fad that you talked about is, is a great resource for that because you can find just about all of that on the internet. Uh, but yeah, account research is critical. Like go deep, get all of that together. I like to summarize it in um, some sort of documentation. And then I use that when I'm doing my outreach to people, right? What? Yeah, and, that, and that's like one thing we preach, right? Don't research to research. You're, re you're researching to personalize. Um, and you can, you know, you don't want to get weird, like you said, but you do want to get creative. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, one of, one of my favorite stories is, is I donated to a CIO's, uh, he, I found out he was on the board of a charity. So I donated to the charity and then I sent him, I sent him the receipt and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this charity. This is how this thing has affected my life personally. I just wanted to share that I, uh, that, that I was supporting you. Um, and I ended up getting a meeting and getting a deal there. Could, do you have any like, like cool examples of like personalized outreach that have worked for you for big meetings? Yeah. And, and I love that one, JR. That's awesome. I think what that shows too, is that you're a human, which is incredibly important, especially these days after people getting crushed by emails and calls over the last couple of years. Um, one of my favorite ones is I was P PGing pipeline generating into the PGA tour when I was at the app dynamics. And one of the guys there had gone to university of Texas and it was during the time in the mid two thousands when they played USC in the national championship with Matt Liner, uh, Vince Young, like amazing national championship. I probably watched it five times. So this guy wrote on his Twitter that he was going to watch it like every year he watched it in like some commemoration. So I wrote him an email specifically about the things I remembered from the game. And like, dude, I'm not talking about our business at all. I'm just like, hey, I saw that you love this game. Like, this is one of the best natties I've ever seen. Like, do you remember this? Do you remember this? And the guy got back to me. He's like, anyone who took the time to write me that email is welcome in my office. We took a meeting, we got a deal done. But it's that kind of thing, right? Like, I didn't even talk about what we were trying to help him with. I was just like, dude, Great national championship game. <laughs> John, you, you must have a nugget like that, dude. That's awesome, Jacob. Yeah, I'm probably more, more on the creepy side of the, you know, the more. <laughs> I just uh, quickly what made me think of this is like, I actually had, uh, when I was down in Boston, I um, had an account that I was trying to break into and they were looking for a CIO and a CIO from another company I got let go. And I actually brought them to a game together 
to get this CIO a job at this company. And they actually ended up hiring the guy. And like, I didn't end up getting a deal at the end, but I got plenty of meetings with this company because I looked at it more from the personal side of like, hey, you have an opening. I have a person who's looking and he's looking at your company. So just like you said, Jacob and and like it's the human side. You know, you do things that are more, uh, I don't know, just real world examples and, and you're going to see a lot of results. It's, it's amazing. You can send as many mail merged emails as you want and it's not going to, it's not going to change much, but yeah, just bringing the human element into it is huge. I love the, I love Dude, the email. In, in the terms game, of being though. a human, like who is that CIO? You got him a freaking job and he didn't buy your stuff. God, Jesus. What? <laughs> I well, I quit. I quit uh, shortly after to go to a different company. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. You need to call. You need to call that guy and sell him some stuff now, dude. He owes you. He owes you, bro. Um, <laughs> it's good to uh, it's good to do these things and and really separate yourself. And I think athletes, especially, they have so many things and real world examples. Like Butler, your brother is you know Olympic athlete. Like I'm sure that could get a meeting with the company. You know, like stuff like that is just. It comes out naturally. People want to talk to you. Well, I think something you, know? you said there's interesting to me too. Like you didn't get a deal there, but you got a meeting, you got in the door. Right. And like, I'll use a baseball analogy. Like you're looking for the at bat. Like if you're looking for a job, like for anyone who's listening to this, who's starting to think about trying to get a job in tech sales, it's like, you're just trying to get a meeting. You're just trying to get a conversation because like, again, your competition is trying to do the same. But if you get that meeting, you're that much closer to where you want to be. So 100%, 100%. And maybe you don't get the deal today, tomorrow, the next day, but you know, five years from now, if that CIO is looking for something and calls me like, you know, I think you're, you're calling, you're calling him next. You're, you're calling in that favor. Yeah, anyway, probably, <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a good topic actually. Like, so like we talk a lot in sales about champions, um, you know, and I think, especially when you're selling unbudgeted software that's that's fairly disruptive, like Jacob, you did it, you know, like you're doing now and like you did at AppD. Um, champions are the difference between deals and no deals, right? What it, like, can you kind of like define what a champion is from your perspective? And like, what are the best tactics that you've had to build champions in an in a organization? Yeah, I think, so there's a lot of things that go into like the description of a champion for me. It's the person who sells on your behalf when you're not there. Like, and maybe that's, again, not always the thing that closes the deal, but if they're saying good things about you as a person, your product and your company, when you are not there, that's, that's your person, right? Um, I think as far as building those people first, like, it's just like generating pipeline in a way, like you need to identify the person you think that's going to be, because like, you need to have a mindset of the people it could be before you get there. And then once you get in the room and do a conversation, like it becomes pretty apparent. And then it's about building and cultivating that. But again, to what we were talking about, like in a genuine way, not in a sleazy way, like, hey, I got to make you my champion. So I get this deal done. It's like you want to learn about their professional motivations. You want to learn about their personal win again. Like, do they want to spend more time with their family? Are they really into fly fishing? And like Saturdays, they want to fly fish, but they're getting calls from IT. So it's kind of like cumulative, bringing all that together. And I just think being a, a real human about it, back to what we we're talking about with John, it's like, 
Yeah, people can tell, Jacob, you hit the nail on the head. If you're not genuine, you get sniffed out in two seconds. Like, they, they, most of the people you're selling to in software have dealt with other software salespeople and they know right away, like, oh, this person's just in it for a quick, quick buck. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think, I think what's cool too is like, you know, you'll have champions who leave and go to different places. You might have another opportunity there from like a deal perspective. But when you do this right, like they become, often they become your friend too and you'll just know him forever and it'll be like i've been golfing with this guy for 15 years like he doesn't even work in an industry i could sell to him anymore but like we go to march madness every year or we play golf together or you yeah know, it's cool yeah i've been in a couple customer weddings that's like it's it's a especially when when i was a reseller like i made so many legitimate relationships and then you you can and, and then when you when you win for them they'll win for you like you can call in a favor at the end of a quarter and be like, man, like I really need this one, Dave. Like, is there anything you can do to help me, buddy? But you've got to earn that right first by like helping them and like being genuine, I think. Yeah, totally. All right. Um, two more questions. Um, I'm, I'm going to change this one. So I want to know like what's, and you don't have to say the customer. Um, you can just describe their industry or whatever, but like what's, What's the favorite, your favorite deal you've ever closed? And like, why, why, why is it your favorite? Oh, okay. I got a good one here. So the first big deal I ever closed at AppDynamics, um, I, I put it all on the line. I mean, it, it was a typical large IT sales cycle. We're talking like nine months. I was living in Denver. They were based in Phoenix. I was flying to Phoenix. I, I might as well have just been a consultant on the bench because I was flying in every Monday, seeing them, living in the office, you know, like scheduling meetings, wandering around and being like, I got to go find this guy who won't talk to me, walking to his office, knocking on the door, bringing him donuts. Took nine months. It, it went on a lot longer than it should have. But when we finally closed the deal, then the reason it's my favorite deal is that the people that worked at the company we're just as happy, one, that the project came to fruition, but also that I got a win and they got a win. So it was like completely like 50-50, right? It wasn't just me, got a deal, I'm going to get a commission check. And I still talk to people there. I don't sell in that industry. They're not my customer anymore. But it's the same thing, JR. Like I still text with people over there like, oh man, I just saw like this new product you guys did. It's awesome. It's like, it, it, it was like, it was foundational for me because it was the first time I realized that when you do it right, like the relationships are deeper than just a transaction. Yeah. Listen, Phoenix isn't a bad place to fly into every week though, either. Hopefully, hopefully it wasn't in the no. summer. <laughs> it was, it, it was definitely through the summer, but I went to school out there. Yeah, so I was happy yeah, to be back. Yeah. All right. Um, so final question here. Um, and this is a, this is a thing we do every week. So, we talk a lot about professionalism, right? One of the highest praises that you can give a seller, in my opinion, um, you know, and this goes back to like our, the title of the podcast is Merchants of Change, right? The idea that like we're, we're really, we're selling the idea of like disruption and changing the way you're doing things. So um, I, when, I, when I think somebody's like really good, like yourself, I say that guy's a, he's a professional, he's a sales pro. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to be a professional salesperson? Yeah, to me, it goes back to preparation, like always being prepared, always understanding the situations that you're walking into 
having some improv to it because you can't just be a robot, right? But like you've done your homework, you've practiced either your pitch or you practiced, you know, whatever it is that you're doing to the point where you always come off as someone who has prepared for that conversation or ready to pivot into the next conversation. I learned early in my career that if you show up unarmed without preparation, you're going to get yourself in trouble real fast. <laughs> and you might get you might get your behind handed to you by some people. So be prepared. That is awesome. I love it. Preparation equals professionalism. You heard it here first, and yeah. I couldn't agree more. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us this week. Yeah, absolutely. Had a great time, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Have a good day. Thanks, guys. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io. 